You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. If you don't know me and if I haven't met, uh, uh, I'm, I have been so blessed by this church. My wife and I have been blessed here. We served on staff for a period of time. And, uh, but prior to that, I want to say Southview, uh, when we lived outside of the United States, this church took care of us when we had, um, we had troubles. Our daughter had problems with her car. Somebody from the church helped her, lent a car, did, replaced a battery. When we came back from Asia after being gone for six, eight months, the church went to our house. They had the keys. You, you all came to our house in, in Colombia cleaned our house, filled up our house, grocer, our refrigerator with groceries. I'm going to tell you that this has been a, a, a very great, caring church to us, and you, you have really strengthened us in so many ways. And I will tell you this, uh, we only have a handful of supporting people and churches, truthfully, and we would not be doing what we're doing without the strength that you've added to us. Last year, uh, this year, um, we, we received a, a huge offering from Southview to help with Afghan refugees. Was it this calendar year or was it last year? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little foggy here. And wow, what, what a tremendous thing. We got this into the hands of people who are directly ministering to Afghan people. And uh, in fact, I'm going uh, back to, I'm going to Indonesia in January and I'm going to be ministering to Afghan refugees there in part of what I'm going to be doing. So. Let me, let me share a little bit about myself. My wife was with us in the first service. She had to leave. Our daughter and granddaughters are coming to our house, and we don't get a chance to see them at, that often. But uh, this is who we are, International Missions Project. And uh, if you want to be in touch with us, we'd love to get an email from you. Please feel free to do that. We, we send out a newsletter with photos and some updates and some prayer information. <laughs> about things that are happening. We're primarily ministering in Southeast Asia. Primarily, I'm a world Christian, but uh, we have been ministering in Southeast Asia for a big part of our life. So if you look at the, at the next uh, slide here, the, <clears throat> the map of Asia represents, or this section of Asia represents a big part of the population of the world. And the largest of, of the population in Asia have no clear understanding of the gospel. You need to realize that what we have in the United States and what, what we have in the West is really an anomaly concerning ministry. We have 24-hour Christian television. We have podcasts. We have, we have ministry everywhere all the time. Of course, the internet is, is broken through, but even there, there are blocks and there are filters in places where, which are closed nations that don't get material through. And people don't have a large understanding of the gospel, but Jesus told us, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And I know I, I, I told Pastor Josh this one time, and I think you've heard it probably before, two-thirds of God is go. And we just really feel privileged to be doing that. We lived outside of the United States to do that and to live and be part of a culture, primarily Chinese people, but we, we feel so bonded with Asian people. Let's go on for several pictures, and I'm just going to show you. Worship is passionate to be around Asian believers. This is a church in Kuala Lumpur. Great church, a great church that I love going to. And next, 
next slide, if you will. Uh, this is a worship leader. He, actually, he's, a, he's an ethnic Indian, but he's Malaysian, and he travels around India, actually, leading and teaching. And this is a pastor on the right, a great friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. We laughed together. We went to a movie one time with them together, two times, and they, they talked the whole movie, you know, a Western movie. They were talking the whole time, and we were, we were having such fun with them. We are eating dim sum there. Ooh. Don't get too hungry. By the way, the next slide is my favorite dish that I make. And these are two sisters who make this. And they know I'm a pastor. I see them every time I go to, back to Penang, Malaysia, our adopted hometown. And we're loving them and ministering them. Look at this next uh, slide. I just took a picture of this because this is an overwhelming tree. It's a Bougainvillea, if you know what Bougainvilleas are. Some of it, you can see that in Southern California in, in warm climates. But this is a hybrid. It's, you know, blossoming so many, so many flowers. We live in the tropics when we lived over there. Uh, there's no winter. There's no cold season. There's only rain, rainy seasons. And the coolest it's ever been is 76 Fahrenheit. That's 14 years of living in Southeast Asia. So... And there's not air conditioning. We have ceiling fans. Uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a blessing. You know, and my my wife she likes she likes the house a little bit warmer than most of you. But I could I could stay in my home during the summer with about 82 to 84 degrees. I could I could do that because my body. And when we came back to the United States after living there, we couldn't even walk down the refrigerator aisle in the grocery store here. We're like, you know, so. Anyway, we've acclimatized in some ways, and uh, in fact, I'm going back to Borneo next week, where it's going to be roasting hot because this is a roasting hot time of year. Okay, go on to some more food pictures here. This is a lady. She's fanning the fire on a charcoal fire, making satay, which is skewered meat, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's tremendous and costs so little. And this is a friend of mine. When the Bible says the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all, I think this man is him. If I have asked him for any help on any level, his name is Philip Koo, I'm going to tell you, great rewards go for people who serve in this church anywhere. But this man has been a servant to Jane and me. I can ask him for something, if you can help me with something that costs less than a dollar. He'll move the moon and stars to get it for me. And he has served me so much. He is my lifetime friend. We've spent time traveling together. Go ahead, if you will. I came back from Nepal at the beginning of the month. And I, this is me speaking to a village pastors in a little pastor seminar, which I was so blessed to do. Carry on. Here's a house church that has started. They sit on the floor. Uh, it's, this is a common, common household uh, um, decor where everybody sits on the floor and here they are uh, studying the word, reading the word, and the pastor sits it on the on the chair in the back. And I'll talk about him in a minute. Here's some mercy ministry. Next photo uh, that that they reach out to the underprivileged. And I've been in this little room here to do some ministry before. Uh, some of these women have uh, bundles of noodle packets. Next slide, a youth service. Uh, in the entire town in Nepal where I've, I've been going, and the, the pastor's daughter is one of the premier worship leaders all over Nepal. And uh, she's, she's actually, you know, won some contests uh, amongst, uh, amongst singing worship in Nepal. So it's, it's very exciting to have seen that. Carry on, if you will. They go village to village. Sometimes they, they take, they take four-wheel drives to where they can't take them anymore, and they walk 
in Nepal, sometimes for two hours, three hours, sometimes for two or three days. I asked them, how do you do that? They said, well, we get to another village uh, at night and we ask somebody that we might know if we can sleep in their home. And uh, sometimes they don't have the chance to sleep in a home, but they'll sleep somewhere and they'll carry on going village to village. And here's an, another slide of a, a meeting, an outdoor meeting, where they're just sharing the gospel. This brother's praying here. Uh, this was this summer. Carry on. If you look at village people, this is how they live. Uh, a goat there. Wow. Next picture is a, is a woman. She's, she's a Nepali. She's a, she's a Hindu woman. She's wearing this heavy, well, I don't even know what it, the composition of is. It's kind of a, a paste and it's a tikka, which is usually used as a sign for protection uh, amongst their beliefs that they're, they're putting this on for protection. Sometimes uh, going to the airport, you will see people who are in the airport, just their whole forehead is red, marked with red, seeking protection. Of course, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And we are marked by the blood of Jesus, amen? Uh, I was in, in Nepal uh, at the end of October during a Hindu festival, and uh, it, was, it was a time where almost every Hindu person had this mark. They took this mark on them. Let's go on to several baptismal photos. This is in the foothills of the Himalayas, and I'm going to talk about this pastor who's behind in the white shirt baptizing. When somebody is being baptized, they have really made a decision in their society and culture that they are a committed follower of Christ. Prior to that, somebody could say, I believe in Jesus, but that doesn't have any weight culturally or societally or in family until they are baptized in water in the name of Jesus. By the way, I've been in this river. I've, I've, I've helped baptize. It's totally illegal, by the way, me doing that, which is gets me excited about doing stuff like that. Amen. Carry on. Some more, some more baptismal photos. Uh, keep on going. Two more. I want to show you this. Next slide. Here's our, our, our friend who is uh, leading. Go ahead, if you will. Next slide. He is in a, a, a reaching out to a, a family sharing the gospel. And notice that he's not inside the home. He's not inside the home. You have to be welcomed into a home in order to go, to, go inside the home to, to preach the gospel. And these people evidently were just still interested, but they were outside in the freezing cold outside their home, and he's sharing Christ. And they, they go village to village to village, and they start churches in these small villages looking for, in any village, a person, what, what Jesus taught, was a man of peace who will welcome you and receive you in the name of the Lord. And then they will be able to enter that home, they will be fed, and that person will be interested in hearing the gospel, other neighbors will come, and invariably people receive Christ. In Nepal, more people are coming to Christ, being baptized, more churches are being planted right now at this season of life than any other nation in Asia at this time, surpassing China, which has seen a great revival. So we've been putting a lot of our efforts there. Next photo, this is Pastor Nade Lama, our, our co-worker, and uh, well, I can't say enough about him. He's, he's in his early 40s. They've planted 40 to 50 village churches. This is the Himalayas, the Annapurna Range. 
It, it is absolutely beautiful to see it. Let me, let me tell you a story about Pastor Nade Lama. Nade Lama grew up in a village area where there were no Christians in the foothills of the Himalayas, no Christians, no churches at all. When he was a young boy, a preacher from Nepal came to their home and preached the gospel, and his mother was sick with an incurable illness. And I believe it was lupus, I'm not totally sure. And his mother, he prayed for his mother and prayed for other people. His mother was instantly healed by the power of Jesus. And when, when the father saw it, the father declared, we are a Christian family. We are all Christians. <laughs> Me, my wife, my children, they, they didn't have to sign a decision card, go to classes, anything like that. They just declared, we are believers in Christ. And as a result of them being the first family who turned their lives to Christ in that village area, there are 700 churches now in that area. And it, the landscape is peppered with believers and churches of all different sizes in villages in the Himalayas. Okay, more baptismal photos. I just get touched by this. Go ahead on if you will get to the next slide, which is a map, okay? Just switching gears here, I'm going to the island of Borneo, which is, Borneo is an island which is, um, is comprised of several nations, Malaysia, East Malaysia, Brunei, and Indonesia to the south. And I'm going to the Malaysian side. We, Jane and I, my wife and I have been there so many times, been ministering at, at this church actually since maybe 1999. I've been there so many times. I think I've preached there more than any other place. And their work is just incredible. They are tireless as a congregation, reaching out, reaching out to the poor, preaching the gospel, reaching out to tribal people, people of ethnicities, which are predominantly called Dayak people. Small tribes comprise, uh, comprise of four or 5,000, 10,000 people. The largest Dayak people are called the Iban people. And there's been a revival that has happened in, in Borneo. When the first missionaries went to Borneo uh, in the 19, late 1920s, early 30s, they were from Australia. They preached the gospel. Gospel was not known. They were headhunting people prior to this. The people received the gospel in many tribes. Many tribes, four or 5,000 people, all of them became believers within, within days of hearing the gospel, which was a stunning thought. There was supernatural revivals that happened in several places. Jane shared a story in the first service. I'll just tell it to you that we were in this church. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called Borneo Evangelical Mission, Emmanuel. In, in the Emmanuel Church, there was a small, there's a small woman. I've known her for a long time. Her name is Supang. Jane was talking to her and learned about her story. She said she grew up during this conversion, during this revival. And she said when, when she, she was growing up, no one knew Christ, but then children started preaching the gospel to the village people, and village people started responding. So Jane asked the question, how did the children know the gospel? And Supong said, 
they, they heard it from, from God himself, from angels, from Jesus himself. And he told the children, tell your families these stories about me. So there was a revival that started supernaturally with children. By the way, this has already happened in China in the 1950s, and I can't go into that, which is a tremendous piece of church history. This woman said that her father and mother uh, were illiterate. When her father and mother received Christ as illiterate people, immediately her father could read the Bible. Immediately. And a, a miracle of God. When her father was aged, he told his family members, the Lord has told me that I'm going to die in exactly one month from today. And everybody said to him, no, daddy, you're not going to die. Don't say that. And he said, the Lord has spoken to me. He went everywhere to his village, to wherever he went. He asked for forgiveness. He told people, the Lord has told me I'm not going to be here one month from today. I'm going to die. And he was asking forgiveness everywhere that he was going. People were praying with him. He was leading people to the Lord one month to the date prophetically fulfilled he died and he went to be with the lord and so there's a there's a tremendous heritage i don't know if i've told this story but i want to tell it now about this uh, about this entire nation uh, or island of borneo there was a revival amongst a people called kelabit people which this lady was a pastor and and uh, and the assistant pastor who i met uh, several years ago he was now in his 70s late 70s they were on the top of a mountain praying because their church was very small, 20 or 30 people. And there, there, there was rampant alcoholism, falling down drunkenness in their village. The men weren't working. Children were dying of malnutrition because nobody was farming. The women couldn't pull in a harvest. And so there were people who were dying off. In, in so many ways, and they were crying out to God, Lord, our village needs you, it needs your presence. The Lord told the pastor, tell the people to come to the church and there will be food at the church for you. So he went down to the village and he said, the Lord has said, come to the church, there will be food. And the Lord gave this pastor, and the assistant pastor is the one who told me this, who was there. The Lord gave this pastor a recipe to make a bread or a cake and that to feed the people. And so the people started coming to the church because people were dying, didn't have food. And the pastor made the cake and started slicing and giving away pieces of this cake to, to the village people and kept on giving and kept on giving and kept on giving. And it wasn't running out for 30 days, one cake kept on being sliced and fed to the people. This is a documented miracle. I want you to say something with me. Just say, I want some of that. Come on, Southview, amen? Lord, pour out your spirit in all the earth. Okay, let's go on from this map. Let me just tell you, look, look at this baptismal photo. You know, you can't see all this. God knows who all these people are. They baptize so many people and I could get a photo every day Go ahead, here's another baptismal photo. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. The island of Borneo is experiencing and they're celebrating 50 years this year of revival. Well, our organization, International Missions, we want to do, we, we're working on a project to send an offering, love offerings at this Christmas season. This Christmas season, we're sending out love offerings to several, several places. 
And the reason why is Christmas is the greatest time of evangelism and ministry in Southeast Asia. It's when non-believers are open to hear the gospel. They will come to church at the invitation of people. They will come on Christmas Day. Every church is open on Christmas Day and they have special services. They do mercy ministry. They reach out. They give away food. They reach out to their communities. And in some places in Nepal, this pastor Nade Lama told me, we can preach open air legally on Christmas Day. And they preach the gospel and people come to know the Lord. And we, we have wanted to get behind this year after year after year to help. And so part of our December love offering is this as an organization. Some of our upcoming ministry. Well, I told you that next week I'm going to Borneo. Just cover your prayer. I want, I want to say that, uh, you know, the, uh, the trip is long and it's, I'm getting tired a little bit. <laughs> the trip is long. It takes over 30, 30 hours. I'll leave on a Tuesday and I won't get to Borneo till Friday night, actually, because I have to overnight in Singapore. And uh, these are all familiar places for us, but still, the trip is difficult and challenging. In January, mid-January, I'm getting a chance to go to Indonesia to the island of Sulawesi. And this is gonna be my first time to Sulawesi, which I'm very excited about. I wanna say something about Indonesia. Indonesia might be 40% Christians. It might be. It's, it's known uh, in terms of demographics as the largest Muslim nation in the world of over 240 million people. But the statistics are, are not out it may be 30 to 40% believers in Christ. It's absolutely stunning. And if you went to Indonesia, you would be ruined by the passion of the people. People, people cry out to God, are so desperate for God. I can tell you story after story after story, but I don't have time to do that right now. But Indonesia is just a harvest field that is happening. Jane and I are going to Hong Kong, which is officially part of China now. And, uh, Things have changed in Hong Kong since we were last there prior to pandemic days. And in May, uh, I'm praying that Jane is going to have the chance to go with me for some for a ladies' conference that they're hosting in Nepal. And uh, I'll be going to India in June. So this is this is what's marking us out for the next several months. We are gone about uh, either Jane or me uh, individually or together. We're gone about one third of the year and just feel just such a privilege and an honor to serve internationally. Here, here's the last slide to just to see this. If you, if you want to be in touch with us, info1 at International INTL Missions. I would love to be in touch with you in that capacity. Well, I'm going to share with you something from the word for you. Amen? Amen. Because I prayed about this, and I really feel like this is what God gave to my heart to share with Southview. So... What I want to do is share with you the title, read several scriptures, and then we'll pray at the beginning of this message. Are you ready? The title of the message that I'm going to share with you is this. Is God near or far from us? And the subthought is this, understanding God's imminent and transcendent nature. Now, don't worry about that. I'm going to help define that. Is God near or far from us? I want to tell you, I, I felt this in the first service 
I, I was a little bit late for the worship in the second service, but I felt this both services. The worship team really preached the sermon that God is our friend. I am a friend of God. Some of these worship songs were very, very deep, and I felt God's blessing and his presence on these worship songs. And we're going to share several scriptures here that will be able to explain this topic of transcendence and imminence. Okay, I'll make some comments, but briefly, and we'll read them all and we'll pray. Acts chapter 17, verse 27 and 28, jumping in on the middle of a verse. Paul is in Athens. Let me give you a little background. He's in Athens preaching. It is the epicenter of Greek philosophy. He's not being received like his successes were in other cities in Asia Minor, in Turkey, or in Greece. But here he is ministering to people who are a little bit indifferent. But Paul, in, in a brilliant fashion, he found an idol... And it was to the unknown God. And Paul said, this is who I'm going to declare to you, the unknown God. And his name is Jesus. And this is what he said. Yet he, Jesus, is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your philosophical poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. He's not far from each one of us. Isaiah 7.14. Here's a Christmas text, a prophecy about Jesus 700 years before Christ was born. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The New Living Translation adds this postscript, which means God with us. This son who would be born will be God with us. Jesus became a man to be God amongst us. Romans eleven thirty three and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! Exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! Exclamation point. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray together. Father, in these few minutes that I have with this family of God, I pray that you will bless these words. Not just my thoughts, but the scriptures that have been spoken and will be spoken. I pray that you will give strength and faith. You will help us through our doubts, through our difficulties. You will help us when we feel like we are failures to know that you are with us and you desire friendship and fellowship with us. We worship you as Lord and God supreme in this place together today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In theology, two attributes are discussed as being that which defines who God is. Number one is transcendence, and number two is imminence. Transcendence means this, that God is really above 
our finite ability to understand him. We can't experience or understand God to the depth of who he is. It's just totally impossible. Concerning transcendence, I've heard this little illustration. What we as Christians possess of God right now is, could be likened to a glass of water where God is likened to all the oceans of the earth. And we stand before the oceans and we have a glass of water in our experience and we say, this is who God is to me. This is my experience with God. And here's the vastness of God before us. Profound thought. Transcendence to me was just brought home a few weeks ago. When I fly um, internationally, I usually take an aisle seat. I got to tell you that I, I don't like to get up and down and disturb people. So I, I'm an aisle seat guy. You know, that's, that's my preference on my profile with the airline of, you know, that, I, that I fly. But they put me in a window seat this time. I, w I was glad for it because it had, there was no seat in front of me. And so I could still get up and get around without disturbing anybody. But the, the reason I'm saying this to you is I flew from across Asia over China to get to Nepal, flying across the entire span of the, of the nation of China, and I was looking out the window at night, and I was overwhelmed seeing these large cities, all the cluster of lights, and thinking, my God, Lord, here are millions of people underneath me right now. On a clear night, I could see city after city after city, hours of this flying across China. How can we take that in, that God knows all of these people, loves all of these people, knows their thoughts, knows their destiny, wants to make himself real to them? How can we grasp that? No supercomputer could ever calculate anything like that. That's why he is God. He is transcendent. He is beyond who we could ever ask or think or imagine. That's the God that we serve. Now, an extreme form of transcendent belief is this called deism. Classical deism is this idea that the recognition that there is an intelligent design of creation. It does not subscribe to evolution or random chance of the, of the earth or the planets or the galaxies or the universe. They recognize intelligent design so that we are here, a deist would declare, we are here by intelligent design. God gave us physical life and he gave us a planet, but he doesn't have anything to do with us. He gave us this world and he said goodbye. Now I'm off to creating other worlds or what, whatever their, their thinking is. That's simplistic, but the, the thought is conveyed in this idea of a clockmaker. Now a clockmaker, a, a grandfather clock, if you can imagine, when the clockmaker who, who has an incredible skill, when he's got all the springs, all, all the wheels, all the gears, everything all together, when he's completely done, he has a key and he winds it up and the clockmaker will start to spin the pendulum. Tick, tock, tick, tock. And the idea of deism is that's what God did for the earth. Okay, it's all done. Tick, tock, planet earth. Humanity, procreation, population, life, death, development, wars, etc. It's all up to you to steward. I have nothing to do with you. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
we're here for a reason other than that. Amen? You know, that's a fatalistic view of intelligent design. Why, why would a God create in this capacity and have no interest in the thing that he created? You know, when, when you get done making something, creating something, whatever it is, if you've ever worked with wood or, you know, people who make pottery on a wheel or a craft or something artistic or you write a song as a musician, you, you love it, you're endeared to it, you engage with it, you, you want to look at it, you want to share it with other people. God cares about his creation. He's transcendent, but he's also imminent. And imminence means this, that he is desirous of a relationship. He can be known, he can be understood by us as human beings. And he wants to walk with us in friendship and fellowship. Amen. He's the answer to the sin question. Jesus answered the sin question by becoming a man and dying so we could have a relationship with him. Say amen, somebody. Amen. I'm going to read to you a text here. It's not in the, on the slides. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. But, you know, if I, if I was your pastor, I'm just an honorary pastor under Pastor Mark's authority here. I would say, go home and read Psalm 139 and meditate. Meditate on it. Psalm 139. Listen, if you don't have your Bible or if you haven't been able to swipe to it, if you have it on your phone or tablet, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read thoughts of transcendence. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge Verse 6 is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Transcendence. God knows our thoughts. Knows my, 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 my life, my lying down, my rising up. He knows the day you would be born. He knows the day you'll depart from this world. He knows it all. It's too much for me, the psalmist is saying. But let's look at an imminent statement here. Verse 14, I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And my soul understands this. Here's a verse to write down if you're taking notes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. It's a foundational text concerning missiology. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has placed eternity in their hearts. You see, in our hearts as human beings, every human being has a sense, this life is not all there is. There's, there's something beyond. I understand this. My soul knows it very well. Verse 17 and 18. How precious are your, to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more in number than the sand, the sands of the sea. When I was a young Christian, I went to the beach. I grew up on Long Island. It was just fairly, you know, a short drive to, to the water. 15, 20 minutes, I could be at the beach either side, the Long Island Sound or the, the Atlantic Ocean that goes all the way to England. I could go either way. And I went to the beach one time on my own. I had my Bible. I was sitting there in the sand. 
I was a hippie kid, just a, Christ, just a new Christian. I was reading Psalm 139. And I read this verse, how precious are your thoughts. They're more in number than the grains of sand of the sea. And I just reached down. I, I picked up a handful of sand. Thought the thoughts of God towards me, towards you, towards every individual, sifting through my hands were tens of thousands of grains of sand. And I, I just kind of looked east and west or however the beach was running, and I, I thought, my goodness, th this is just a small stretch of beach concerning all of the sands of the sea. What God is saying to us in his word is his thoughts towards you of love, of desire, of devotion, of relationship, of fellowship, of salvation, of good things. His thoughts towards you, you could never count them. You could string together 10, 12, 15, 100 Cray research computers. You could never calculate this. This is why the transcendent God becomes imminent to us. He wants to know us and he wants us to experience him. This is his desire. You know, the psalmist said, you're watching me. You're, you're seeing me. That makes people nervous. Some people nervous. He's watching. He's watching us. I want you to think about it like this. He's watching over you. He's watching over you. He's caring for you. My brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, Jane's sister, they, they were going to a church. Their pastor had two young kids. You know, be easy on kids who are always in church. They have a hard time. Sometimes services go long and they get a little antsy, you know. <laughs> And uh, I can say this about my own kids. My, my children would come. I was a pastor, same church for 15 years. My, my kids would come and they, they go into my office and they pull out all, all the office supplies, cutting papers, paper clips, rubber bands, and, you know, coming to my office, all my bulletin board was, you know, some collage of all. I mean, you know, I just let them do it. There was a, there was, there was a little room in the budget for this kind of folly. But kids, kids just, you know, they have a little bit of a difficulty being in church too long. Well, this church, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law's church, the, the pastor's kids were like ninja kicking each other and fighting and ha ha, -ha. and some, some elderly person, I, I gather from the story, some elderly person who was not very pleasant in general said to these children, God is watching you in church, God sees you in church, scolding these little children. These children, you know, they got so scared and she was so mean. They went up to their dad, the pastor said, Daddy, you know, that Mrs. So-and-so, she said, God is watching us. We were kicking each other and fighting and just having a good time. She said, you know, God is watching us. And the father put his arms around his kids and he said, that's right, God is watching you because he can't take his eyes off of you. That's how much he loves you. He's always watching you. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody needed that here. I believe that with all my heart. God's watching. He's watching you because he loves you. He's watching us because he cares about us so much. I'm going to ask a few brief questions. Existential, Christian existential questions. What is, what is an existential question? It's things that explain meaning, purpose, and, and essence of our existence. Does God speak? Is God really at work in my life? Why can't I feel my faith? And is there a purpose to my problems? Does God speak? 
theologians say this, and the Bible says this, Genesis 1.26, God said amongst the Godhead, let us make man in our image. And it's not gender exclusive, it's mankind. Let us make humanity in our image. You are made in the image of God. Say amen. Not physically, but in terms of your soul makeup, your spirit makeup, you are made in the image of God. Well, we are communicating people. We talk. Certainly, God talks. He speaks to us. Now, don't go up to somebody, a stranger on the street, and say, God speaks to me, you know, because some people, well, in Tennessee, everybody will agree, but, you know, if you did, if you did that in a real, in an unchurched, you know, city, some people might think that you're headed for the loony bin, but God does speak, and he wants to speak to you and to me. He wants to speak to us personally. How does he do it? Well, my, my persuasion is this. The primary way I find God speaks to believers is in prayer, in worship, in the word. I, I believe he can speak to me intimately. He can feel like my own thoughts sometimes. And he can speak to me intuitively. He speaks to us circumstantially. There's so many ways. But I do believe that his word is a primary way that God speaks to us. This is why the Bible has been given to us, to hear from God. And how many times have you or I read the Bible and sometimes you're reading the scripture and you know, you're praying about something or, and, and then all of a sudden it's like that, that, that verse just seems to come right off the page. And it's like, this is an answer from God for me. God's talking to me. That's called a rhema from God, a rhema word, a living word just for you. Have a relationship with your Bible. Amen. Have a relationship with it because God speaks through his word and in prayer. He speaks through circumstance. He speaks through other people at times. But I encourage you, keep a relationship with the Bible. And read methodically. Read, read consecutively is a good way to do it. Not just randomly. I, I was telling the first service, you know, when I was first a Christian, just I kind of dropped my Bible and wherever it fell open, I thought, you know, God speak to me. And then I point somewhere and, and I look, oh, oh, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. God speaking. Amen. And then, then I do it again. I know the thoughts that I have to, for you. Thoughts of good, thoughts of, to give you a future and a hope. Oh, thank you, Lord. That, that's a promise for me. I appreciate it. Third time. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, vipers. You know, see, it, it didn't work. Don't, don't just let the Bible fall open. Uh, of course, that can happen. God can do that. But it's better to read in a way that you're consecutively reading because then you get the context, you get the understanding. And read the Gospels through. Read them through and through and through. And here's another word I want to release you from any condemnation that you might feel. Because mostly every Christian feels this way. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't. I'm going to tell you, me personally, I feel I, I, I need to read the Bible more. I'm constantly urging myself to read the scripture, to delve deeper in the scripture. I don't read enough. I don't read enough. When I was first a young Christian, college-age pastor, just appreciated him so much, 
But he came up with an idea that was not a biblical thought. He said, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to read three chapters a day. If you don't read three chapters, you won't be able to really grow spiritually. I was just under condemnation. I wasn't reading three chapters. Then I tried it. I tried it. Okay, okay, I read my three chapters. Thank you, Lord. Now I want to grow spiritually. Yes, Lord, you know. And sometimes then I, I, would, I would be in a rush getting ready to go to school, and I, I just kind of like, oh, okay, check the box. I, I read my three chapters. Now, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. No, 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 don't do that. Don't feel like you have to do that. Read slowly. Sometimes you can camp out on a verse of scripture, a, a passage. Sometimes I've camped out for days and days, thinking, meditating, reading, maybe cross-referencing. Go slowly. Let God speak to you through the word. Say amen. amen. Okay. Why can't, is God really at work in my life? He is. If you're a believer, he's at work in your life. Because he promised Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is at work. The problem is, is why can't I feel that? Why can't I experience that? That's the problem. Why can't I feel my faith? Because faith and feelings sometimes are, are at war with each other. Faith is not that which is that, that we, or our Christian experience is not which is driven by feelings or emotion. Because emotions are fleeting. They go up and down. But faith is driven by the fact that Christ died on the cross. I've placed my faith in, in him and in his death and resurrection. The fact is, as Jesus rose from the dead, he was seen by 500 people at one time. It's a fact. I believe in his saving power. Now, feelings start to come. You know, the Bible teaches us that the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It starts with love, joy, peace. Well, there's feelings there. There's feelings there. But feelings don't drive it. Fact drives my Christian experience, and feelings come as I worship God, thank God for the reality of who he is. Is there a purpose for my problems? I'm going to close with this thought. Is there a purpose for my problems? You know, biblical language would really talk about this word problems in the context of trials or tests. Is there a purpose to my trials, my tests? The purpose is this, really. Ultimately, God's purpose in your life and my life is to make us more like Jesus. That's what he's doing. Ask yourself, Lord, in prayer, make me Lord, more like Jesus. Lord, I want you to work and make me more like Jesus. He will bring difficult situations your way to prove his authenticity in your life. How is it that people can come through crisis as Christians and come out shining as an example? I wanted to share several stories in the first service, but let me share with you one. When we were living in Malaysia, <clears throat> a missionary family in India, they were ministering among leprous people, and the, uh, the husband, his name was Graham Staines, and I know people who knew him, Graham Staines went with his two sons to an to a area which was a little bit testy. 
ministering to leprous people. Graham Staines went with his two sons. They were six, seven, eight years old. And after they were done ministering to the leprous people, they went back to their Land Rover to sleep at night. And some radical, angry people came and doused their vehicle with diesel fuel and lit their vehicle on fire. And they were burnt alive. And I, I've read the book. It's called Burnt Alive, the testimony of Graham Staines. All because they were loving leprous people and ministering to them and serving them and washing their wounds and giving them the love of Jesus. Graham Staines' wife, Gladys Staines, gave an address on national TV in India. And she said, I forgive those who murdered my husband and my children. I forgive them because Christ has forgiven me of my sins and he wants them to know that he can forgive them of their sins. I forgive them. God's forgiving is for them. And the nation was speechless. A Christian preached a sermon to over a billion people in India who could ever hear it. The trial, the test came out that she was glistening like gold for Jesus. That's who you are. Christ is with you, and he wants to walk with you and talk with you. I'm so grateful for this church, and I'm so grateful for the fact that I'm around believers who can strengthen me in my faith, because nobody should do it alone either. We need one another. Say amen. Pastor Josh, Pastor Mark, thank you so much for this great honor, and I'm going to close with this. And We'll, we'll see you in the plan. We covet your prayers over our lives. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.